This morning we, we come and we talk about some more names of Jesus. And this morning is a, just a really precious morning because we're talking about names of Jesus that have to do with salvation. And most of our songs this morning actually sang through almost all the, the names that we're going to be covering today, which is a, a wonderful thing. A, a year ago, I guess it was, we were on vacation and we were visiting a small town and they have jewelry stores in this town. They had this deal that if you went into certain jewelry stores, you got free little tokens for the kids, you know. What they didn't tell you is that you had to, to listen to their sales pitch and look at their stuff. And we're going through this, this jewelry store and trying to get these little coins for our kids. And they said, they look at Susie and say, oh, you'll love this. And they pull out this, this bracelet for Susie and they put it on the, oh, this is so you. Well, of course they're going to say that. It, it, and it was beautiful. And, and we look at the price tag and we're like, that's more than we make in several months. <laughs> and, and at that point, they're like, no, no, try it on. We're like, no, 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 we don't want to touch it. Otherwise, we might have to, to refinance our house or something. It, you know what I mean? It, it's this costly, precious, valuable item that we, we finally got it down. We got our little 10 cent token for the kids, but whatever it was, um, but there's this sense of preciousness to that. So you want to take care of it and you want to, to not abuse it in any way. We don't want to accidentally drop it on the ground and have these diamonds go everywhere across the floor. This morning, that's a little bit how I feel coming to the names of the salvation names of Jesus. Because these are precious and beyond compare in their value. And so I, I view it like holding this priceless jewelry, this priceless necklace... The difference is God says, wear this, enjoy this. This is the life I'm giving you. This is the salvation I'm giving you. Make this part of who you are. And it is a wonderful, fabulous thing. And so we come today to the the salvation names of Jesus. We'll go through six of them. We have three on one side of your notes and three on the other side. My hope is that it gives us a a view, a well-rounded view of salvation today, an appreciation of salvation. For those that maybe are here trying to figure out who Jesus is and what Christianity is and why we why we go to church on Sunday mornings, I hope today is a great chance for you to hear about Jesus and hear about why we're here and why we worship. For many here that have accepted Jesus and are following Jesus with your lives, my prayer is that this is a chance to to be in awe of his work, to be amazed at his work all over again, to not take it for granted but to appreciate what He has done for us. So let's just start with a word of prayer as we come to these precious names. Lord God, our Father, we start with prayer acknowledging that You are the author of our faith, that You have given us the opportunity for salvation. And so, Lord, we come, and I pray that You would convict us. I pray that You would challenge us, Lord, that You would bless us with Your gift, that You would renew our awe and worship of You this morning. In Jesus' name. First name we want to talk about is Redeemer. And you see that in number one in your notes, Redeemer. And when you think of Redeemer, and in each of these we'll try to explain and how they give a different nuance of salvation. When you think of Redeemer, the idea is that someone has paid a price for your freedom. The price has been paid. And so to redeem something meant to buy back or to purchase. It was often used in the, the marketplace where they would be selling servants or selling slaves And if someone came and chose to purchase a slave and then give them their freedom, that would be redeeming them. And so that's how the the word was used. 
In the Old Testament, it could mean redeeming someone from bondage or from danger. But the focus is redemption or or release, freedom, because a price was paid. And so we come to Redeemer, and we think of Redeemer as a name of Christ. It's also a name of God. But um, we know in God, as it applies to God, in Job 19, we read, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. In Psalm 19.14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. So God the Father is called our Redeemer. But how does He do this? How does He redeem us from the bondage of sin? The backdrop of this name is that every one of us from birth is in bondage to sin. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so we come into life as slaves to sin. We go through life as slaves to sin. And we cannot pay the price to free us. But God is called the Redeemer. And so when we come to the life of Jesus and who Jesus is, that is His method of redemption. That is the plan. That is the rescue plan. In Isaiah 59.20, we see a, a prophecy about the Messiah. And a Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares Yahweh. The Messiah from Yahweh is coming, and He is called the Redeemer. Now all of that is sort of background to understand this, this rich name of what Jesus does for us on the cross. In the New Testament, interestingly enough, this name is not used for Jesus, but the verb form of it, to redeem, is used of Jesus often. And so he's not called the Redeemer, but he's called the one who redeems or, or he comes to redeem. And so we want to look at some of those verses, remembering it's about paying a price we couldn't pay to release us from a bondage that we're stuck in. Mark 10:45. Turn there with me for a minute. Mark 10, 45. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there's a black um, Bible under one of the chairs right around you. Feel free to grab that and use that this morning. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take that home. Chance to read God's Word to us. But Mark 10, verse 45. A familiar verse as we studied through Mark. We, this was a theme verse for the book. But we read, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. And Jesus here is talking about Himself. We talked about Son of Man last week. Didn't come to be served, but to serve. And then catch that last phrase, to give His life as a ransom for many. And the word for ransom there is the same root as redeem. It's the same root as redeemer. It's the price that is paid to redeem someone. And so when we say that Jesus is the redeemer, we are saying he is the price to redeem us. He is the price to grab us out of the bondage of sin, to rip apart those chains that bind us and to give us freedom in him. See, a ransom is that payment offered to secure someone else's release. It's ransom for redeeming captives, loosing from the bonds. It's giving them liberty. And Jesus says, that's who I am. It would be like if you had a family member, and we don't have debtor's prison, but back in the day they had debtor's prison. And and if you had a family member that was thrown in prison until they could pay their debts, which is sort of an odd thing to do because then they can't work to pay their debts. But... uh, and you went and said, I am going to pay their debt so they can be released. That is the ransom that Jesus says He is. And so He comes and He rescues us from the penalty of sin. He pays the ransom so we can be free. 
verse, a verse that we sang this morning, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, has the same idea. And we'll come back to it on Mediator. But in 1 Timothy, Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, There is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And then he ties with mediator this concept of redeemer who gave himself as a ransom, which is the testimony given at the proper time. What I love about thinking about Jesus as Redeemer is that He didn't just pay out of His excess change. He didn't just pay out of His cash. He gave His life. And that's why He is called the Ransom. His life as He hung on the cross, as the blood dripped down, that, as, as He said, it is finished, that was the Ransom that gives us freedom from sin if we will turn to Him. When you think Redeemer... And when we think of Christ as Redeemer, it's often very helpful to think two words, from and to. And remember those two words, from and to. We, we, we can think of from. Okay, I'm being redeemed from the slavery of sin. I'm being redeemed from the bondage of sin. But biblically, and, and, and as we go through Scripture, it's also the concept of what are you being redeemed to. And so the, the, the payment is paid. We're plucked out of the bondage of sin so that we can be a certain way. Titus 2.14, and and several other verses have this concept, but Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all all lawlessness. And so there's the redemption. Take us out of all lawlessness, all sin, but then the two, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So the reason why it's so important to think of from and to, and in this case we're, we're redeemed from sin, to service to God, to a relationship with God. The reason that's so important is it helps keep us from thinking of salvation as just a fire insurance. As, okay, I get out of of the consequence of my sin. Yay, I get to do whatever I want today. But if we really understand the depth and the cost of our redemption, how could we not see that we're redeemed to something? How could that not change how we live? How could we not just bow and worship? our Savior. Peter in 1 Peter has the same concept. Knowing that you are ransomed from the feudal ways, and that's the redemption, from, ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So we're taken out of the futility of this world. And we're placed into relationship with Jesus Christ. Galatians 4. There's a lot of verses this morning that I, I just hope will, will impact us and be rich to give us this idea of sal- under, an understanding of salvation. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And do you see the from and the to there? We're redeemed from the law that we can't keep, and so the penalty of the law is death. And we're, we're redeemed to adoption, to a new family. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And here it is again, the from and the to. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. See, as long as we're stuck in our sins, as long as we haven't turned to Christ, the bondage keeps us a slave to sin. 
It's the person that is trying on their own to break habits of sin. I don't know if you've ever tried to break habits. Habits are tough to break. And there's all these, you know, 12 steps or 20 steps or 500 steps to breaking habits that you can get books on. But when it comes to sin, you can't break that habit on your own. I don't care what you try, you and I cannot break that habit because it is holding us in such a tight grip that we have no choice but to sin again because of our sin nature, because of the slavery that that brings. But God sent His Son to redeem us, to pay that price so sin has no power. And we're given adoption as sons and daughters of the king. No longer called slaves, but now we're called sons and daughters of the king. What an amazing verse. What an amazing thing to worship our Lord about when it comes to redemption and understand the, the, the power of what we would have been to what we are now and that we don't deserve it. Romans 6, Paul says the same thing. But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. Verse after verse after verse that talk about the act of redemption from Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer. The price has been paid to free us from the bondage of sin. The result, the wages of sin have been paid. And we are freed from sin to walk with God. Think about that this morning. Sin has been defeated. The power of sin in your life has been defeated. When we give in to sin now, when we give in to the natural man now, it is because we are ignoring the Holy Spirit. He has given us all the tools to do the job. Yesterday we had people all over campus working. And what if the guys that were painting the cross out front said, you know what, I don't, I don't really want to use a roller or a brush to paint. I have hands. It, it, would, it would look horrible. You can't do it because they're not taking advantage. They're not using what has been given them to accomplish the task. When we sin, when we fall, it is because we are not living in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, before we're saved, we're in bondage. We have no choice but to sin. Once we give our lives to Christ, He's given us everything we need to live for Him. And when we fall, it's because we're choosing to ignore Him choosing to ignore his work and out of that concept i get comfort and i get conviction comfort that sin no longer has has power over me conviction of why do i still blow it why do i still sin and it's because i'm not living under the holy spirit at those times i'm choosing to not use the tools god has provided and given holy spirit is much more than a tool though but just a, a metaphor See, the price has been paid for our redemption. And that price was blood, not paid to Satan, but to the Father as propitiation for His wrath. As Jesus took our place on the cross. And so when we think of Christ as Redeemer, think from, think to, and and how do we live and how do we grab on to this new life in Christ? Think of the big picture of Scripture. Scripture starts with creation, right? Right? 
Genesis 1 and 2, awesome creation, perfect Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, this amazing walk with God. They walked with Him, not, not just figuratively, they walked with Him. And then Genesis 3 happened. And sin and the bondage of sin entered the world into all descendants and to all creation, we read Paul, Paul say in Romans, that creation groans under sin. And so when I think of Scripture, I I think of the big picture of Scripture. Genesis to Revelation is God redeeming creation back to Himself through Jesus Christ. If you had to, to think of the big picture, God redeeming creation back to Himself through Jesus Christ. It's this idea of Redeemer. For you and I as human beings, our redemption happens because of the blood of Christ on the cross. Creation is going to be redeemed, we know in Revelation, the end of the story, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, and those that believe in Jesus spend eternity with Him in the new heaven and the new earth. Creation is redeemed back to God through Jesus Christ. The whole story in between is the story of how that happens, of how God works His hand. See, without a Redeemer, our story is hopeless we'd still be in bondage. We need Christ. In Psalm 49, this is mentioned, truly no man can ransom another. I can't ransom anyone else because I have my own junk that I'm having to ransom myself for. Or give to God the price of His life. I can't even ransom myself. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. So the first name is that Jesus is Redeemer. What an incredible gift. What a valuable gift. And, and, and if we're to put this into practice, we need to live like this gift has value. Live like it cost Jesus His life. That He gave all for our redemption. Let's not take that lightly. I, I saw a little bit of, of valuing something this week. My son had a, a toy that he had bought and spent some money on and, and, and put in some extra money. And this was his toy, his precious thing quadcopter and the first day he used it he accidentally flew it into the anaheim substation electrical substation and it was gone sorry if any of you lost power that was us (laughs) what that was tuesday monday monday or tuesday i don't know susie's not in here but um (laughs) tuesday and he was just tore up why was he tore up about it? Because of the value he placed on this object. He, he, had, he had put enough money in to where he really valued it. Christ put his life. He paid for our redemption with his blood. That little helicopter is nothing compared to what he paid. A price we can never even fathom. And so the question is, will we value it? Will I take hold of it and say, I am going to worship God. I am going to serve God. I'm going to follow Him because of this incredible price that I could never pay. Do we long after what we've been redeemed from or do we long after what we've been redeemed to? And I have to admit, some days I find myself longing for things of this world and I forget the cost that Christ paid to redeem me to the things of Him. Christ is our Redeemer. Second name on the list, and these names have a lot of overlap, a lot of similarity, but Christ is our Savior. 
And this is one of the more common names that we would think of, that he's our Savior. And a Savior is one who... I looked up Savior and it says one who saves. I'm like, thanks. (laughs) Never define a word with the word. But uh, it went on after that. Because, Because that's one of those words we think we know, right? Okay, one who saves. We can think of saving from all kinds of things. But it's the idea of delivering from danger or destruction. To rescue or to preserve. And so when we think of Jesus as our Savior, He is rescuing us from the danger of sin, from the destruction of sin, from the consequences of sin, eternal life in hell. So we've been rescued from sin. In Luke 2.11, in the Christmas story that's coming up, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We know that, right? But Savior is one of His names and it means He has deliberately come to rescue us. To rescue us from death. To rescue us from the results of sin. In John 4.42, with the woman at the well, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves. They came and met Jesus. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Paul and Peter in Acts, as we look at some of their messages, as they are proclaiming the gospel and trying to, to, to bring people into a relationship with Christ, Peter said, God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Paul in his message said, of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus as promised. We need a savior. It's a song we sing at Christmas time sometimes. But we need a Savior more than just at Christmas. Because of that bondage to sin, we need to be rescued from the results of sin. 1 John 4.14 says, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. And so we know that we're not only in bondage of sin, but that sin has consequences. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. It's talking about spiritual death there and, and, and all of what has happened to our world in this Genesis 3 world. The wages of sin is death. That's the consequences. But when we speak of Jesus as Savior, He gave us a way to be rescued from that. So that our fate as sinners is not our eternal fate if we come to Him. I think there's several ways to think about salvation. In in Scripture, it's used of of past, present, and future. And it's just helpful to think of God as Savior. When we think of Jesus as saving us, the past, that is the point in time where He died on the cross to take away our sins, to pay for our sins, to rescue us. And then when we believe on Him, we are fully saved. That sin is paid for. It is taken care of. But then we also see in Scripture when Paul says things like work out your salvation with fear and trembling, there's a present sense of salvation. We would sometimes call that sanctification where we're growing in Christ. Anyone here perfect yet? If so, let me know. Let's talk. Come on up. (laughs) None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. Because God is still saving us. Now, now don't, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean heaven is in question. That was settled on the cross and when we believed in Jesus Christ. But He's still transforming us. And when we've talked about spiritual growth, I've said my, my prayer is that every one of us is, is closer to Christ's likeness today than we were a year ago. If not, we're not growing. 
And so salvation has this, this present sense. Salvation, when we speak of Jesus as Savior, it also has a future tense. What are we, what are we, what is our blessed hope? What are we waiting for? The return of Christ. Jesus is coming back. And He's coming back to set up His kingdom. And we will spend eternity with Him. And that's the culmination of salvation. Is the eternal relationship with God. All of that comes into Jesus as Savior. The thing about Jesus as Rescuer is we have to let, choose to let Him rescue us. We have to follow Him. The Bible says we have to repent and believe on Jesus Christ that we may be saved. Today, if, if you've been thinking about should I give my life to Christ? Should I follow Him? There's just so much in this world that I'd rather have. By the way, that's bondage and slavery to sin that's speaking there. Today's the day to let Him rescue to say, Jesus, I believe in You. I believe that when You died on the cross, You paid for my sins, for my salvation, to redeem me from the power of sin. And I follow You. Follow Him today. Jesus is Redeemer. Jesus is Savior. Third name there is Jesus is the Lamb of God. A lot of our songs this morning, I don't know if you noticed it, a lot of our songs this morning mention the Lamb of God. And He's the sacrifice to take away our sins. To cleanse us. And, and for us, this is a harder one to understand because I don't think many of you have gone out and sacrificed any animals this last week. Again, that's frowned on in our society. You can get thrown in jail for things like that. But for them, it made a lot of sense. And this name made a lot of sense because Lamb of God would have brought to mind all of the animal sacrifices that were still going on when Jesus was here. And so turn to John one twenty nine, and we, we come to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And it's interesting because he comes to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist is going to call him Lamb of God. Keep in mind, John the Baptist was the son of a priest. So he had been around the sacrificial system. He had been around the temple. And in John one twenty nine, powerful verse. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the, the most common name actually John the Baptist used for Jesus. And you, you never know, as he's saying that in front of people, maybe some of those people in the crowd just in the, in the last month had brought one of their little lambs to the temple to be sacrificed. Maybe this was, maybe, and it would have been their best lamb. And so to hear, behold the lamb of God, it would have brought to mind all of that. See, in the, the, the sacrificial system that we see primarily in the Old Testament, sacrifices were used to pay for sin. The wages of sin is death, right? And so God provided sacrifices as a way to, to, for an animal to take our place temporarily. An animal can't take our place for, for all of our lives and for eternity. But so what the priests would do is they would bring an animal in and sometimes they would have people touch the, the animal and that would be like transferring your sin onto that animal. And then the priest would go and kill the animal and then burn it up on the sacrifice. And that was representative that that animal took our place for, for that time and was killed on the altar as a payment for our sin. See, it was either the animal or, or the people. And God said, I love my people. 
And so here's a way that as a righteous, just God, your sin can still be paid for if you will do this and come to me. And so all of that is the the backdrop to now Jesus comes walking up to John the Baptist and He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John got it. He got. He called Jesus the sacrifice. And Jesus was the final sacrifice. The sacrifice that would end the need for any human sacrifice, or any, sorry, any animal sacrifices. Because Jesus is God. And He is infinite. And He was perfect. And so only through His life can all sacrifices be done away with. Because He is sufficient. He is enough. See, sometimes we can get caught up into thinking Lamb of God is a cute little cuddly name. Fluffy. This wasn't about fluffy. This was about blood. I'm not trying to gross us out this morning, but we need to see the impact of this name. It's not that He was soft and nice to pet and to love. It's that He gave His life in my place so I didn't have to be killed on that cross. That is powerful, people. That is an amazing gift that that should affect and change everything we think about. When you think of that verse, next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's a couple of things that that should remind us of. I think I put three S's in your notes. Sometimes we do alliteration. Why not? The first that that would have reminded them is that Jesus was sinless. Because the Lamb that you brought was to be a Lamb without blemish. It was to be the best of your flock. And so to call Jesus the Lamb of God would be to say that He is sinless. The second thing it means is that He is our sacrifice. And He would now take our sin on Him and He literally did that. As He hung on the cross, as He said, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? That is because all of our sin was placed on Him. And I am convinced that that was far more torture than any whip and any crown of thorns. Because as that moment, He took my sins, and He took your sins, and He took them on Himself, because that is the only way that that becomes payment for you and I. And the sheer agony of saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I can't even comprehend how that can happen in the Trinity, but we know scripturally it did. He is the sacrifice for our sins. Just as that lamb was sacrificed each day, they they actually sacrificed two lambs a day in the temple. Just as that lamb became the sacrifice for for the sins of the people, Jesus became our lamb and paid the price for the sins of the whole world. All who believe will be saved. Sinless sacrifice. The third S is substitutionary. And just in, that, that may seem like, well, that's a big word. It did start with S, so that, that worked. <laughs> but what that means, just real simply, is that he died in our place. He was my substitute. Instead of me hanging on that tree, it was Jesus Christ. And because of that, if I go to him, that payment is applied to me because it was like I was hanging there, except it wasn't me. It was him. And he did it voluntarily. See, he takes away our sin by taking it on himself, 
paying for it, paying the price for it, and then giving us his righteousness, which is greater than that sin. Amazing name of Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. Interestingly enough, in Revelation, 26 times Jesus is called the Lamb in Revelation. You, we, we have it in John the Baptist, and then we don't really have it elsewhere until Revelation, till the end of time. And it's, it's like his credentials. It's his resume that says, this is why I can save those people. This is why my people can enter into the kingdom with me. This is why I have the right to judge sin. Because they did not turn to me and accept my sacrifice for their sins. Let me just read four of the verses to give you a flavor. Revelation 5, 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd in 717. And he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In 13.8, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Revelation 17, 14. They will make war on the Lamb. That's just silly. They will make war on the Lamb though and they try. And the Lamb will conquer them for He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And those with Him are called chosen and faithful. The Lamb of God should bring to mind His sacrifice, but also His victory. That's what He's called in Revelation. That's how we know that if we believe on Him, I'm going to be in eternity with Him. And I have no doubt about that. When we think of the Lamb and the sacrifice He's made, again, this should motivate us to live a certain way. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says, cleanse out that old leaven that you may be a new lump. Just real flattering, flattering words there. We're lumps. But he goes on to tie in lamb. As you really are unleavened, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And Paul's point is, Christ as the lamb of God has already been sacrificed for our sins. He already took all the sins that we will ever commit, you and I that believe on him, into himself on the cross and paid for them. And so the result should be we should try to get rid of all the junk in our lives, all the leaven which represented sin. We should live like we've had someone sacrifice themselves for our sins. Because he has. The lamb of God. The last three names will go through a little bit quicker because they all just overlap. And so there's just little nuances that are new. But the fourth name is the last Adam. The last Adam. And this reminds us that we are part of a new lineage, a heritage of life. In 1 Corinthians 15.45, and you can turn over there if you'd like. 1 Corinthians 15.45, we read, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And we see Paul making this comparison between the first man, Adam, who who was Adam, and the last Adam, Jesus Christ, or sometimes it's called the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And so this comparison compares Adam, who is the head of our race. We all come from Adam. We're all related. 
And when we think of what Adam did, and we talked about this in our men's study a week ago, think about what Adam did. How did he do it? Obedience. Not so good. Because of that, we are all in the bondage of sin. How did he do it keeping a relationship with God? Well, the sin messed that up. How did he do at, at following God with his whole heart? And, and this was the source of failure, the beginning of failure, the sin that any of us would have done if we were there too, that brought spiritual death to all people. But Christ succeeded everywhere that Adam failed. He lived a perfect life and completely obeyed God. Instead of bringing death, he brings life through his sacrifice on the cross. He is a perfect example of relationship with God. And as you read through the Gospels, his constant communion with God the Father is awesome because he is always praying and they are one. And and what an example for us. And so there's a contrast here between the first Adam that brought sin and death and the last Adam that brings life and obedience. In Romans 5.17, we read, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. We're born into the lineage of Adam. We're born again when we believe Jesus Christ into the lineage of Jesus and the King with a whole new heritage. Our original heritage from Adam is one of sin, death, and alienation. But now through faith we belong to Christ, a new family, and our heritage in Him is righteousness and life. Everything that we do, everything in this world comes from one of those two lineages. If you watch the news, what, which lineage are you usually watching? You're watching Adam, the, fir- the first Adam's lineage. You can't watch the news without realizing this world is messed up. Sin has twisted and and wreaked havoc on this world. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, proves that there is life and that there is hope. And so when we see the name, the last Adam, the question like we talked about in our men's study is which Adam will we follow? Because everything I do is in one of those two lines. If if I go home and I get angry and upset because my family's annoying me and I just let it out on them and and, and yell at them and, and demand things my way, which Adam am I following? The Adam that followed his own desires. The, the Adam that did what he wanted. But if I become life in my home and, and a, a, a picture of who Christ is to my family and how Christ can forgive by my repentance... I'm following the lineage of the the last Adam, the second Adam. Which group will you be this afternoon? Which group will you be when you decide where to go to lunch? (laughs) And who to talk to at lunch? Which group will we be in? Which lineage will we be in when we go out to the gym and see someone we don't know versus someone that we've talked to five times already this morning? 
Let's follow the lineage of Christ. Two other names. Mediator. And we sang about this this morning in the key verse is 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. A mediator is one that would, would be a go-between. He'd come between two parties in conflict. And our sin makes us in, in permanent conflict with God, right? He has to judge it. A righteous and just God cannot let sin go unpunished. And so there is a division, there is a separation, a conflict there that is permanent unless someone intercedes, unless there is intervention. And Jesus comes as a mediator And a mediator represents both parties. That's why he is fully God and fully man. He can represent us. He can represent God. And he finds a way to restore and reconcile relationship. And he did that because of all the other names we've already talked about today. Because he redeemed us from sin. Because he paid the price. God's justice is satisfied. And so we can be in relationship with Jesus Christ. It's one who settles disputes. There's so much great theology in that verse and in that song we sang. There's one God. There's only one true God that we, our sin makes us in conflict with. And there's only one way to that God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Through accepting His gift of salvation. And because He sacrificed Himself and that sin is paid for, mediator is all about relationship and saying you are restored with God the Father which is why we have hope for eternity with Him, a future with Him. This is only possible with Jesus Christ. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how spiritual you are. If it's not through Jesus Christ, we are not restored to relationship with God. And there is enmity there. There is a distance there. But Jesus spans the gap. What an amazing, amazing gift. Don't waste that reconciliation. Revel in your relationship with God. See, Christianity is about closeness with God, not a God that's that's waiting with a big stick to beat us. It's about a restored relationship with the God who loved us enough to send His Son to die on the cross and redeem us, to save us, to be our sacrificial lamb. The last name this morning is the founder and perfecter of our faith. In Hebrews 12, 2, we read, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Some of your translations probably say the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And that phrase just blows my mind. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And it's because he knew what this was accomplishing. He knew that he was mediating a relationship between God and man. That he he was redeeming us from the bondage of sin that we don't have to be stuck there, that He would save us from the destruction of sin, that He would take our place. He saw the big picture. And so this was joy, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. And it's a reminder, founder here is the same word would be like if somebody founded a city or founded an organization. Do you have a city if no one founds it? No one starts it? No, you've got nothing. You've got a a pile of dirt or, or some open fields. 
Do you have an organization if no one starts it? No, and so this is talking about Jesus' work as the, the founder, the starter, the originator of our salvation. Big picture here, theologically, it's saying you and I didn't do it. You and I could never do it. We don't found our salvation. I can never earn my way to God. I can never be good enough. In fact, if the Bible says because of that bondage of sin that we talked about the redemption from, because of that, I am incapable of pursuing God. I am dead in my trespasses and sins. If it's not for Jesus drawing me and and founding my faith, I've got nothing. And, And that should be like, wow, that is amazing. And it should lead us to worship. The perfecter of our faith, that's the ongoing aspect of salvation that we talked about. That Jesus then comes along and, and he perfects it, he finishes it, that he continues to help us grow with Christ, and ultimately we are secure that our future is with, with him. He is the founder of our faith. Let's not claim that it's something I do. In a few months, or in, in a month and a half, most of you will... will head like masses to a theater to watch some Star Wars movie. And, and imagine if, if I was to go with you and, and halfway through the movie I'd say, yeah, I wrote half of this. I authored half of this. What would you do? You'd look at me and say what? You're nuts or you're a liar. Thanks, Don. <laughs> because I had nothing to do with it. In the same way, when I start to feel good about my salvation, when I start to feel good like I'm really righteous, when I think I'm better than someone else, all of that is saying, I'm having a part in my salvation. I wrote this. You and I had nothing to do with it. Praise God. I'd mess, I'd mess up Star Wars. Won't even get into that. We'd mess up our salvation because we are incapable of doing that. But the work rests in Jesus Christ. And that's not a problem. That's not like, oh man, I wish I had, I had a part in it. This is an opportunity to worship and to bow and to praise Him because this is the only way that we are perfectly sure of our salvation. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. Be grateful for that work. Worship Him. Today, six names that remind us of our salvation in Jesus Christ, that are this treasured necklace that we can look at, full of value, full of worth. Redeemer reminds us that the price we could never pay has been paid for our freedom. Savior, that we're rescued from death that we alone could never avoid. Lamb of God, that He became the sacrifice to take our sins away that we could never get rid of on our own. The last Adam that we were given a lineage, a heritage of life when we were following Adam to death. Mediator, that Jesus reconciles us to God when we are the ones that turned our back on God. The founder and perfecter of our faith, that Jesus does the work and gives us grace when we were just dead in sin. And so how do we respond to a grace we didn't deserve, that we didn't work for, that we didn't earn, we respond with worship and surrender. With gratitude to God who has given us everything. And so what more can we do but give Him everything? Oh Lord, our God, we praise You. We worship You. Oh, we give our lives to You. 
because of that work on the cross, the salvation work of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, help us not to treat that lightly, but to value that and treasure that, to live in light of that, because it has changed everything. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.